Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest special edition of The Other Hand. It's Monday, so we are going to be speaking once again to Nathan Johns, journalist with the Irish Times. We're going to be chatting, as always at this time, about the weekend's Rugby World Cup. We are at, as they say, the business end of that particular tournament. Two semifinals over the weekend, so only one match to go. Uh, We'll talk in a bit about what Nathan thinks about that next game. But most obviously, we are going to talk about those two games. A few things struck me. There's the the one-sided nature of at least one of those games. Also, where the World Rugby Union has screwed up with respect to its scheduling and seeding and, and all that good stuff. And what that plus the nature of the games themselves say about the future of rugby so quite a few things to do in a short space of time so let's start Nathan thank you very much for coming on the show again what do you make the two games uh, very very different games of rugby weren't they yeah but I think two games largely anticipated perhaps not to the extent of the trends that we saw but I think the trends those trends themselves weren't that surprising New Zealand to be more more than comfortable against an Argentina side that's Showed flashes every now and then previously in the tournament, but by and large was nowhere near the the quality of, of what we might have thought. Um, you know, everyone thinks back to that initial game against England where they were just beyond poor um, and they got away with it a little bit against Japan um, as well to qualify. And look, they had a decent outing against Wales, but that was probably the, the closest they came to actually playing well all tournament. So did I think it would be a 35-point drubbing or whatever it was in, in the region of that? It wasn't quite 40. No. Did I think it would be 15 to 20? Yes. So again, not necessarily the scoreline was probably a little bit surprising, but the, the domination and, and New Zealand didn't really have to get out of third gear um, in terms of they didn't necessarily show the same 
physicality or you know strength of of will that they had to show against Ireland but they didn't need to and that's probably a good thing um because they'll be a lot better rested um both because their game was 24 hours earlier than South Africa's but mentally as well um than South Africa and I think we could see that based on I think it's very hard to go to the well twice in a row uh, I think we saw that a little bit with South Africa after what they did against France and you know they got caught a little bit on the hop against England um again the trends in that game weren't overly surprising. I think everyone knew England were going to kick a lot and look to just pressurise South Africa and force mistakes. It's how they play anyway, but it's definitely how you play if you're a worse team against a better team. Um, and we all knew South Africa would do something very similar and just back themselves, even if there was a bit of an English onslaught in the first quarter, half, three quarters of the match, and just back themselves because their bench is so good. And they just say, right, we're going to play the style, the power style, and we're going to just stick to it no matter what, because we know we have more powerful athletes than you. And come 80 minutes, that will tell. And it just about did. It took about 72, I think they scored in the 72nd or 73rd minute, that try. It took longer than anticipated. Um, But when it did happen, look, their scrum was dominant. England changed their starting props to avoid this, it was unavoidable that they had to change the props at some point. The scrum was going to become a bloodbath. Um, there's been a lot of controversy about that last scrum decision for the winning penalty. But still, you could just tell South Africa, I think it was it was very much anticipated. They would come back. Their scrum and line-out would eventually come good. Um, and it did. They scored basically you know, two phases off a line-out in the 22, and then they got multiple scrum penalties to to win the game. So... Again, before we, go on, to, before we get, go on to the detail of that game, in particular that last scrum penalty, but the scrum in general is something I want to ask you about. But also in the context of the game as a whole, the, the game of rugby, not just that particular game. But Argentina against New Zealand in a, in a semi-final should never have happened, really, should it? If this, if this tournament had been organised properly, that should never have happened. I think you need to be very careful when talking about what should and shouldn't have happened because manipulating competition is very difficult. I think World Rugby would have loved for last week's quarterfinals, the two mammoth ones that drew huge audiences, that had everyone in the world talking about rugby for 48 hours, would have loved for that to be uh, semi-finals for the value of the competition. Absolutely. But it's very difficult to do that. I mean, generally speaking, you don't get the best four teams in the world in a semi-final, in any sport, really. There's always somebody underperforms in an earlier stage of the competition, somebody overperforms. You know, 2019, Wales got to a semi-final. Kind of like similar situation to how England got to a semi-final here. I don't think Wales were necessarily as, as pilloried in the build-up as England were this time around. But, you know, there's always at least one team that sneaks through. Now, this time around, there's a very obvious reason for that, which is what you're on about, which is the draw. The draw was made two years ago when the rankings were very different all that may i just interrupt you arguably two teams got through that should never have gotten through so that's the issue yeah that's the issue you can probably accept one two does devalue the competition a little bit i think yeah i think there is something in that but that said you know saturday night was still reasonably compelling especially that last 10 minutes um i think certain people of a certain persuasion would have loved that kind of physical gritty and especially scrum battle um it does make rugby unique compared to other sports i mean other forms of rugby don't have that so that was compelling viewing but you're right to have one semi-final that was so much of a mismatch that it just i don't know i mentally probably checked out after about 45 50 minutes as a lot of people i'm sure did if not earlier 
yeah, that's not that's something you want to avoid. It is going to happen every now and then, but for it to happen with two teams, look, and I think they were delighted that England did what they did because it did. They didn't have two completely uncompetitive, boring uh, semi-finals. Now, a lot of people would say the start of play England played was boring, which I'm sure we're going to get onto, and I know that's the point you're going to make. But in terms of a scoreboard and kept competitive balance, they probably just about saved World Rugby's blushes by performing as well as they did. So you don't think that rugby as a whole has suffered as a result of World Rugby's lack of ability to organise a decent pair of semi-finals. I take your point that some team is always going to get through that shouldn't and vice versa. In a way, as we've discussed in a different context, that's the beauty of sport. If the best team always wins, it doesn't become terribly interesting. One of the fantastic things about sport is its unpredictability. Uh, But I think that it was so egregious, the two sides of the draws, because it, it ultimately led to what we got over the weekend. But even during the pool stages, you could see how it was going to develop. And a lot of things felt very lopsided. And so I'm not sure if people's sense of rugby or people's views of where rugby is. One thing that I would say very definitely is that World Rugby Union doesn't look like a very well-organized outfit. Is that a fair criticism? It's something I don't know a lot about, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I think, yeah, look, it reflects, it reflects poorly. Look, they could have done the draw a year ago, got the rankings right, and, you know, Scotland with a more favourable draw could have upset somebody like, a, I don't know who, who they are. They would have been on the different side of the draw, so they might have been on the same side of the draw as France. Scotland played very well against France historically in the last six months. So there's still always a possibility, which is why I'm reluctant to be overly manipulative of, of, uh, of, of competitions. But I do think... The issue of trying to get seedings done and rankings done two years in advance has floated at being an issue before, albeit never to this extent. This is the biggest, most egregious example of doing that when you do get two of the world's top four teams out so early. Um, and purely because it, now it'd be completely different if they were upset by a weaker team if England pulled off that quarterfinal that semi-final display on Saturday against a France in a quarterfinal and one, like you said, that's just, that's the way it goes. But I do think, yeah, you want the best matches towards the end of the competition. And I do think, I think we'll struggle to get as compelling in my final as we did as those two quarterfinals. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it, it ref- means that they're a poorly run organization, but I would say that if they now don't, don't go on and change it and change it to a year out instead of two years out the draw, that is, that would make them look like a, a poorly run organisation and, and would reflect badly on them. Yeah, the reason why I raise that is partly because I do feel annoyed that Ireland wasn't playing yesterday or over the weekend, uh, so it's personal. But it's also the some of the other things over the years that the, the, the World Rugby Union in its various guises has done, particularly with respect to tweaking the rules. And compared to the rugby that I knew, when I grew up and even played a little bit, not much, but just a little bit growing up in Wales. It's a far more technical, open to interpretation by the referee on the day game than it ever was. And it, there's always been a bit of you have to play the referee involved in rugby and subjectivity of the referee's decision. But what I think we saw over the weekend was the pinnacle of, I think, things going wrong in that the We'll get on to that last scrum in a, in a moment, but it's more generally the case that you hear in every game that each team is figuring out which way the ref is going to interpret the rules and then playing the ref accordingly. You hear that a commentator or an analyst 
a talking head almost every game that such and such a team has figured out the ref earlier than the other team and is presenting a particular picture in the scrum, in the ruck, those two things in particular, in order to play to the referee's biases, which is really what they're trying to say. And that really shouldn't be the case, should it? It should. Be, the game has become terribly subjective in terms of the object, the interpretation of the rules, and it becomes a bit of a lottery then. And the second thing I would say is that because it is so technical, the ordinary fan, and this isn't you, for example, because I, I sit and watch rugby games with you and I know that you are no ordinary fan, an awful lot of people sitting in the stands, even if they're listening to the referee on the ref link, haven't got a clue what's going on in those situations or indeed why the ref has made the decision that he's made. Do you think that any of that is fair? I think, well, there's kind of two parts to that, isn't it? I think the the latter point of uh, more casual fans, which a World Cup is going to attract, of course, it's going to attract a, a larger audience and that larger audience isn't always uh, glued to Rugby Week and Week Out. Um, as a sport, it does have areas that are confusing. You know, I saw one very prominent football writer tweet on the weekend to have a World Cup semi-final decided on a technicality of basically a dead ball situation seems a bit strange. And to me, I, again, as a rugby person, the scrum is a very unique part of rugby. You look at that and go, it's a contest and somebody's won a contest and they've been rewarded. Whereas the casual fan might go, well, this is just, this isn't, this shouldn't be as big as important and the ball should be moved away and it should be decided with more skills. People would argue the scrum is a skill. So I think that there is something in that. I just think that's the nature of the sport. And I think it's the nature of sport in general. Once you have the level of scrutiny and the level of analysis on decisions you have in rugby, because let's let's remember rugby is one of the first sports to bring in the the replay, the, t- the television match official, the, the extra pair of eyes, um, on on that of that creates scrutiny and once that scrutiny is there one person sees one thing another person sees another thing it's talked about in the papers and on the tv for a whole week and it creates a dialogue and it creates a discourse in some ways it's been very good for rugby because it keeps it relevant in in media circles for for weeks on end in some ways it's very bad because it it creates confusion um and i think that happens with all sport you look at football on the weekend i was watching the arsenal game on the weekend and the var decision to give a handball against against Arsenal and Gary Neville sitting there going yeah by the letter of the law that's a handball but before VAR comes in that doesn't get noticed because it just looks like a defender is jumping and now we're zooming in and seeing where his hands are, are they up are they down all this stuff I think that's it's a byproduct of sport in general once you introduce these mechanisms which I I know I'm not anti VAR I'm not anti TMO I'm not anti you know Hawkeye and tennis whatever it is I think technology is good because by and large it does lead to more correct decisions because people get mad about the level of stoppages and the level of, inter- of interference but people get more angry when a wrong decision blatant wrong decision decides a game but when you introduce that extra level of scrutiny you are introducing some people seeing black and some people seeing white and a conversation that's just going to happen so i think we need to accept that to a certain extent we also need to expect accept that rugby is a contact sport and when you've got bodies everywhere it is incredibly difficult. Um, you know, one thing South Africa do more than anyone is they make the breakdown a complete mess. So they just know that they'll give away five penalties at every breakdown and they might give away one every 10 minutes because the referee just can't see everything. That These are just parts and parcels of sport and of this individual sport. What that does for the neutrals, I don't know. It's a decision World Rugby needs, needs to make. Do they need to make it more neutral friendly? Some people would say yes. Some people would say no. Like I said, I don't think we should be taking away aspects of the game that make it unique, that make it different from, say, Rugby League, which has no scrums and no breakdown, which are, they're the messy areas, really. Let's be honest, that's what we're talking about here. 
so I think that answers the the kind of the second part of of the kind of the neutral and and what happens with with that. And in terms of the the overly the overly technical points, it's the nature of the sport. I think. Um, I think do we need to do a better job of communicating that? I think rugby does a better job than anyone of communicating the technicalities. Premier League football, you've no idea what the ref is seeing, you've no idea what the ref what the ref is doing, primarily because they're worried about players roaring abuse at them getting caught on the television. I think that's the main reason we don't have referees and other sports mic'd up. But you know, again, we saw really a controversial VAR example a couple of weeks ago where a wrong decision wasn't communicated properly to fans and there was uproar. Rugby does a very good job of communicating itself because you can just listen to the referee for three for 30 seconds explaining his decision now that's not going to see people aren't going to react to go oh the referee thinks this fair enough they're going to react oh well he's full of crap blah blah blah, blah. but i don't know i just think it's the nature of sport and especially a complicated sport such as rugby it's very technical it's very hard to explain it is tricky for neutrals but rugby does they could do a better job in parts but it does a good job of explaining itself and it has always been ahead of the curve in terms of um video referees and technology etc so it's tricky a lot of it is inevitable a lot of it isn't inevitable so i think it does get overly i think the point about you know it, it refereeing decisions deciding matches again that's part and parcel of the sport and i think people will always complain about it how many matches in any sport actually get decided by individual moments of brilliance and how many is a penalty in the 90th minute in football versus 75th minute in rugby so i think it's always important to take a step back and go well in terms of the sporting landscape i think it does reasonably well in comparison to other sports especially because it is more susceptible to confusion and overly being overly technical I know that we get lots of neutral listeners to this podcast who have an interest in rugby, but they don't have your passion and indeed your level of knowledge. So I don't want to spend too much time on this, but that last scrum, as you said earlier, has been very controversial. I would make an overarching point is that I don't think those sorts of technical infringements, which at the end of the day, my understanding of is that one player put one knee very briefly onto the ground and that... Uh, was forced upon him by the actions of an opposing player. And because his knee went on the ground, his team lost the game. I think that's wrong. I I think that in some sort of, I don't know, natural justice sort of way is wrong. Um, Okay, maybe putting your knee on the ground in that situation was the wrong thing to do. But whether it should have led to the equivalent in, in soccer terms of that 91st minute penalty for a foul in the area it's a completely different kettle of fish it's a very technical it's a mistake that deserves to be all mistakes deserve to be punished as a good catholic boy nathan you'll know the difference between venial sins and mortal sins that was judged by the referee to have been a mortal sin his side was executed for his was sent to hell for his mortal sin I think it was a venial sin. Yes, administer some punishment, but um, the free kick rather than the penalty. But that's not what the law is. I know. I'm asking you, is the law an ass? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I think if that penalty is given in the 40th minute, nobody's saying anything. It's the context is huge, and the fact it's a winning penalty in the 77th minute or whatever it was. Well, I'm saying it should never be a penalty. It should always just be a free kick. That that level of infringement, that level of wrongdoing. That that then you're getting into the conversation. Some offences are just free kicks. Very few, very few, and they wouldn't be. They wouldn't necessarily be offences. You know. I think offense is a very strong word. Like free kicks are like crooked line out throws or, you know, calling a mark and you kick the ball too long and the player can call a mark inside his own 22. That's very different from destabilizing a scrum, I think, uh, in terms of, you know, the okay. level of destabilizing the scrum. We also know from all of the f- post match photography that I have seen anyway that the South African opposite prop was uh, presented his hips to the referee in the wrong position, drove in at an angle, which caused the English player's knee to drop to the ground. Who was at fault? So no, that's the thing. I haven't a clue and no one else does and I'll explain that why. So the angle of the South African being, the, the camera angle of the the camera angle of the South African being at an angle came after the knee drop and it was from the other side. There is a still of the other side of before they bore in both players. You can see Ellis Genge, the England loose head's knee on the floor. Ben O'Keefe has seen that He's then seen both players go in and he said, that's the reason they've gone in. And there is evidence. Now, whether he is right or not is a completely different question. You can see his decision-making process, his thought process, and you can see why it's been made. And I think that's all you can ask for at scrums because, and this happened last week as well in the Ireland game where Andrew Porter was giving away penalties and there was lots of stills and being thrown around on Twitter and ex-international props disagreeing from different countries it wasn't just a, an Irish prop and a Kiwi prop or a South African prop and an English prop on Twitter having a go at each other. It was props from all, all these all big names, Mike Ross, Alex Corbusiero, David Flatman, BJ Both, all these like well-respected former international props saying, well, no, this happened here, this happened here, he should have been penalised, he shouldn't have been penalised. If these guys who spent 20 years of their life in these scrums need A, stills and slow-mos to make the decisions and B, can't even make it the, come to a consensus on this, we don't have a hope. And much more importantly, the referee who has to see it live with no replays, he doesn't have a hope. So that's my point. So should it be a match-deciding decision? How often does that happen, though? And this is, this is the other point. Well, clearly, about it. it does happen. It just did. Not that often. I mean, most teams these days, like Ireland, don't rely on set piece and dominance to win games. New Zealand don't. France don't. England do because they have to, because they're limited in other areas. South Africa do because they're the best in the world at it and they don't care. They just say solid to everyone else. We don't care if it's boring. We're going to do it. If you've got one team in the world that's doing that, I don't think it's that big of an issue. It's 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 their DNA. It's their identity. At the end of the day, you don't want everybody playing the same type of rugby. You don't want, like, yes, we all want attacking games. We all want really high scoreboards, uh, score points totals. We all want to be entertained. But at the same time, you do need that variety, I think, in terms of game plan and in terms of priority of the set piece 
just to make things more interesting. And yeah, it's just, it's a more interesting sport with more variety. South Africa are the only team in the world really that does this to this extent. And as a result, it's only really going to be their games where this happens. And in all the matches they played in this tournament, this is the only match where people have really said it's a massive issue. At this end, at the end of the day, if somebody is good at something and they have the physical athletes to exploit it better than anyone else, I don't think you should be punishing them for that um you know you don't have height restrictions in the nba you know you have every now and then a seven foot three guy who comes and dominates and is better than everyone else at the certain aspects of the game south africa have four sets of props who are better than scrummagers than anyone else in the world right now it doesn't happen all the time south africa don't win every single world cup you know the scrum goes a long way to winning you matches because it gives you penalties and points and territory but like you know 2015, South Africa didn't have this. 2011, South Africa didn't have this. 2003. So it's not like this is just happening at every single World Cup. Um, They've gotten very lucky with the generation of players that they've gotten two World Cups out of. They probably won't get a third. This won't be an issue at the next World Cup, I don't think. And I think we do need variety in the game. I think that's that's fair. It's really interesting to hear you defend the technical aspects of the game uh, because it makes it for you as a rugby head, as somebody that is deeply immersed in the game from both a playing and an analysis point of view. But let me just put this to you, that, that one of the things that um, obviously the organisers of a tournament like this and a rugby person like yourself wants to happen as a result of a tournament like this is the game is more popular coming out than going in, that there are more kids wanting to play it, that there are more parents encouraging their kids to play it. Do you think that rugby played in this way and going back to my earlier comments, organised in this way, is going to lead to it becoming a more popular game? Probably not, but I don't think it's necessarily an issue because it's only ever going to be a country like a South Africa that does this. Um, New Zealand have never focused on or never developed props that can do this consistently or enough. Um, you know, Ireland never have either. You know, someone like Furlong could maybe, but... There's not enough. They don't have the four guys rolling on and just dominating. This would only be an issue if every single team started doing this. South Africa are the only country that can do this and historically have been the only country that what, can. What are they doing, do are they do doing differently to breed I such men? Maybe it's the barbecues they have. I don't know. They all eat lots of meat. I have no idea. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a, there's something in the gene pool. Who knows? Um, I, I think it would be an issue, yeah, if every single country was doing it or if three of the four semi-finalists were doing it. That's not the case. And um, England went to that game plan. They have they had two decent scummagers to start. They didn't have two coming off the bench and they got pulverized. And that's why they shouldn't have kicked so much because when you kick a lot on a wet day, there's going to be a lot of drops. And even if, even if you win a scrum, you're still likely to lose it. So that's actually a different point. So yes, if every single team was doing this, you'd drive people away. But the other point is, I take a little bit issue with the phrase technical, the term technical, because that makes it sound like oh, you're just watching lads, you know, be really, do focus on some sort of small technical aspect, some technique, and then they get rewarded for it. Like at the end of the day, this is three, you know, set, you know, six men at a scrum going at each other. And it's, yes, it's technique, but a lot of it is just pure power. And a lot of it is just strength. And you're just witnessing supreme feats of athleticism. A lot of people gravitate towards that as well. Just that it's just, yeah, okay, we don't really know what's going on, why the penalty has come, but we can see that one lad is going backwards and one lad is going forwards, and that's because he's a hell of a lot stronger than him in that instance. I think that does have a sort of visceral entertainment value as well, and I wouldn't necessarily downplay that, even for the neutral. I think a neutral can under- can respect and understand that watching somebody supremely athletically gifted, granted, they might look at a large prop and think he's not a 
a very good athlete compared to others but there is something kind of you know it's why people love boxing it's why people love wrestling the kind of strength and power dynamic as well so i wouldn't downplay that i think because everyone wants to see france running south africa off their feet for 40 minutes like they did or ireland attacking new zealand relentlessly and that's the kind of oh look at that piece of skill that more people follow i think it's easy to get fallen into the trap but there are a lot of people who love you know a driving everyone in the crowd always screams heave at a line out more for example you know there is a visceral power to that as well so i wouldn't downplay that you mentioned that you thought England kicked too much. And I know that you've written your weekly piece for the Irish Times uh, on precisely that point, which, if you don't mind me saying, I think is going to prove to be slightly controversial because my much more amateur eye said that the reason why England got so close was because of the kicking game that they did deploy, particularly the kick chase, when so many of their kicks landed in a way either in an England player's arms or was managed to be flicked back into an England player's arms. And for a while, right up until nearly the end, every time they kicked, the bounce seemed to go their way. Their chase seemed to go their way. And I wonder if they hadn't done that, would they, you obviously think that they did it too much. I wonder whether if they hadn't done that, they would have just uh, encouraged South Africa or allowed South Africa to play more their game. Well, there's two points here. One, I didn't say the kicking itself didn't work. There were lots of individual examples where they got reward from it. But even with that reward, the point was when you're kicking, especially against a side where you're much worse than and you know that you defensively you can't really break them down, you're doing it for territory. So they, if they might have the ball, but you have them in their own half, you might force a penalty. You might get a cheap three points. Um. So yeah, you're doing it for territory or you're doing it to get the ball back. So then you have the ball in advantageous territory. It's one of two things. Um, And my point was it didn't really work. South Africa still had the overall territorial advantage, just about, but they did, even though they kicked far less than England. And England didn't actually get the ball in decent attacking positions at all. They spent one minute, 13 seconds of the entire match, the entire 80 minute match, probably slightly more than 80 minutes inside the South African 22. I think Ireland showed the way you break down South Africa. South Africa's incredible defence is just volume. You say, screw it. We're going to get turned over so many times. We're going to lose loads of lineouts in the 22. But we just go and we just say we need to get in there and throw enough you-know-what at the wall and something will stick. That's how you get through them and you break them down and then you back your own defence. England didn't do that. They said, right, well, we're just going to be able to nick three points every now and then. And in the first half, they did. Like They did get a 6-0, 9-3 lead. But that was never going to be enough against South Africa's bench, which is, again, I had a friend texting me throughout saying, you know, your take about South Africa's bench coming on winning the game every five minutes is looking worse and worse. And now, look, it came out. It worked in the end. The last line that South Africa scored, uh, backup hooker carries, backup second row scores, two big powerful carries, and then the backup 10 slots, the match winning penalty. It worked. Backup loose head gets all those gun penalties. Right. But my point is they kicked so much. And yet it looked good because there were South African spills. England got the ball back. But they didn't get the ball back in positions where they could score. And then when South Africa did get the ball inside their own half, England didn't force any penalties. England actually kicked more. They kicked 93. Like These numbers are staggering. They kicked 93% of the time against South Africa. That's ridiculous. Like so. They kicked 96% of the time against Argentina where they walloped them. But the problem was Argentina just gave them soft penalties in their, in their own half because they got kicked the ball there. South Africa didn't do that. So England didn't get the ball inside their... Tw- they didn't get the ball back inside their 22 enough to score. And then they didn't force enough penalties on South Africa when they were inside their own half. When that doesn't work, you need a plan B. 
And for 30 seconds at the end, their plan B of Ford and they brought George Ford on with Farrell so they'd have two guys on for, for a drop goal attempt. Um, and for 30 seconds, when they attacked with two out halves and two ball players, they actually looked semi-dangerous. They went wide, wide and made about 10 meters on each carry. Then they went narrow and South Africa just knocked them back, knocked them back, knocked them back, and then eventually the turnover. I'm saying if they tried something a little bit different or slightly earlier, they might have got a little bit of more reward because the kicking worked really well in the first half, but they relied on their defense a lot in the first half because South Africa were in there. Even though they kicked so much, South Africa spent a lot of time in England's 22 in that first half, a lot of heroic defense. So it didn't really work in terms of territory and you didn't get the penalties you need to follow up the kicks with. That was kind of my point. Um, and then when that was, and also I mentioned it earlier, but kicking on a wet day when your scrum is being annihilated in the last 20 minutes, it makes no sense. Because even if you get the ball on the South African 22, you're going to give away a penalty and South Africa are going to have a line out inside your own half. It just, it came to a point of, because of the momentum and South African spills, it looked like it was working. And I think it looked like it was working a lot better than it was. Um, I think if South Africa are 5% better, they take two or three more of those high balls, they build a lead earlier. Um, But I think South Africa also aren't built to do that. Um, I think South Africa were poor in the first hour. That allowed England into the game just as much as their kicking game. And the kicking game got them into the game, but it never put them in a position to win the game, I thought, because you need at least a 10, 15 point lead against that South African bench. And that style of rugby with South Africa not giving away penalties was never going to get that. I've got two final questions. Here's the first one. Did you enjoy the game? I enjoyed the last 10 minutes. What did you um, think of the first 70 minutes? I, 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 again, I anticipated it. And because I anticipated it, I was kind of like, right. Um, I didn't necessarily have the the visceral anger that I know you had at the style of rugby because I knew it was coming, especially when I saw it was raining. Um, but I knew, again, from my own selfish interest, because I told anyone who had been bothered to ask my opinion that South Africa's bench would come on and win the, get the game. I was like really through gritted teeth saying, right, this better happen now. <laughs> so I was watching the game going, don't make me look stupid, which is a completely different motivation and a completely different interest level. Um, but I completely agree. If you're not somebody who watches rugby day in, day out, and can appreciate the variety of game plans and appreciate the battle of minds that this was between the coaching staffs, um, I can appreciate that it was very much, it was very, especially when you, a lot of people would have been drawn in by last week's quarterfinals. Uh, and in comparison to that, the first 70 minutes were dour. This is a personal opinion, and I know that your average fly half would probably disagree, but and that kicking is such an incredibly important part of the game for points. I just don't mean for territory. Obviously, games can be won solely by kicking, but the, 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 the old-fashioned, or maybe the old man in me, the old purist, still believes somewhere that rugby is a game about scoring tries. The people that run rugby recognised this a long time ago when they changed the points for a try from three to four to five to try and encourage tries being scored. I think the game becomes more attractive to a wider audience and stays attractive to its existing audience if teams score tries. England, do they come anywhere close? To scoring tries? Yeah. No. No, no, no. And, and I think they knew that. And that, again, is why the kicking doesn't work. Because if you're going to say, right, we're either going to get a score because we forced them into their own half and they make a mistake and we can break and score. Very difficult to do with a wet ball. You're picking up a wet ball off a wet ground, that kind of breakaway. And South Africa aren't going to throw two passes for an intercept. So that's not going to happen either. 
You've got um, um, you've got one minute. The next game, the the last game, the final. Your thoughts and predictions. Uh, I think recency bias means I'm not as bullish about South Africa as I would have been. But equally, and especially because South Africa had to go to the well for two games mentally for two games in a row and pull something out of the fire, I think it's really hard to do three games in a row. That said, I do still think each team executing their best game plan, South Africa's notifies New Zealand's if they can, like I said, go to the well and pull that sort of performance out again for a third week in a row, bearing in mind New Zealand essentially had a week off uh, with their win against Argentina. So the gap is narrowed, but I still marginally think South Africa. Got it. Okay, so we'll do this one more time this day next week? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks very much. Nathan Johns of the Irish Times. Much pre- Your time is very much appreciated. Cheers. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.